Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you who have joined us online, and good to see all of those who have joined us in person. And again, I'd like to say uh, welcome back to the Grace students. We miss you. We're glad to have you back with us this Sunday. Have you ever wondered why uh, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are so popular? Now, I know not everybody loves them. <clears throat> why are they so popular? Well, these are, these are epic stories that have a clear sense of right and wrong, good and bad. There's a sense of noble purpose and danger and drama and hope. Sometimes I've gone to one of those films and I've walked out of the theater and kind of been a little depressed going back into reality because I think, oh, I wish my life were a part of a grand epic like that. And then I remember, it is, it is, it is part of a grand epic. And what touches us so deeply uh, about those stories is that they echo, they echo, they tap into major themes of the true story that our lives are a part of. The question isn't whether you and I are part of a grand epic story. The question is whether we live consciously and consequently in that story, aware of that story, living out the truth of that story that we are actually a part of. As we said last week, our whole lives are part of some story. We're shaped by that story. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we each live by some basic fundamental story, a grand narrative, what some people call a meta-narrative. And this provides context and uh, meaning for life. It answers life's fundamental questions. Who am I? The question of identity. Uh, what's my purpose in life? Why do I exist? Where did I come from? What's my origin? Wh where are we going? What's my destiny? And what is wrong? <laughs> Something is wrong right? Something's off. What is it? What explains what's wrong in the world? And what's the solution for that? And how am I to live? How, how am I to live in light of all those things? These are fundamental questions of life that are answered by the larger story of which we find our lives apart. Last Sunday, we talked through the biblical story, which is the one true unfolding story of God's redemption. And we talked about creation, and we talked about rebellion, and we talked about Old Testament promise and Christ Jesus, his advent. And then there's New Testament mission, and then judgment, and at the end, new creation. So we talked through that whole story. But that's just one meta-narrative. There are, there are many meta-narratives out there. There are others, and I can think of one that has, has had huge influence at least in our culture over the last couple hundred years, which is the, the modern story of atheism, if you will, or naturalism or materialism. And it goes something like this. There was a big bang or something like that, then a very long story of evolution, which resulted eventually in human beings and which progressed to the uh, point of rationalism, kind of enlightenment and rationalism, which then led to the advances in technology and science, which will eventually take us into utopia. <coughs> Our Apple iPhones and Google and artificial intelligence will save us, hallelujah, amen. Now, when I think about that story, there are some similarities between that story and the biblical story, only you just take God out, right? Whew, that makes a big difference. 
Uh, but, but you know what? That one's fading. That's kind of passe. That's kind of yesterday's meta-narrative, if you will. Today, we, ca- we live in postmodern times. And uh, I'm, here's kind of just a sentence that maybe summarizes postmodernism. There is no goal for the actions of the self save the fulfillment of its desires. There you have it, all, all wrapped up and summed up. Postmodernism, postmodernism is very skeptical of the, of the modern meta-narrative, the atheistic meta-narrative. But those are kind of our cultures. In the, in the global world, there are other meta-narratives. There, there is pantheism, for example. Billions of people live uh, within the pantheistic uh, worldview. Everything is God, God is everything. That sneaks into our culture sometimes in movies like Avatar and other places. We get doses of different meta-narratives. But, but when you take them all together, really, you can, you can divide them out into two. There are basically two ways to approach reality, to pr- approach life. There are really only two fundamental meta-narratives, and here they are. The first one is this. Our story for our glory. Our story for our glory. You can personalize that and call it my story for my glory if you want to. And, and one thing about, about all the meta-narratives that, that are not the biblical meta-narrative the biblical story, the ones that aren't the biblical story, they have something in common. As different as they may appear in many particulars, they have one thing in common, is they put human beings at the center, at the top of the heap. Everything revolves around human beings. And that is a part of our bentness. Remember the bent arrow last Sunday? Part of our bentness is this tendency to make ourselves the author and hero of our own stories. Everything revolves around us. It's our story for our glory. Now, that's not new. That is not new at all. And uh, it, it, it started way before secular humanism did. It started actually in the garden. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. It, it starts with Satan's lie. And here it is. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Remember, God had said, as soon as you eat of the tree, when you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He said that to Adam. But Satan contradicts that and lies. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. You'll be, you'll be God. You can choose what's right and wrong, good and bad. You can be the the author and the hero and the center of your own story, knowing both good and evil. And of course, uh, man and woman, they bought into that. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted to be like God. She wanted to be in that position. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband, Adam, who was standing right there. And it continues... Even after the flood, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And there we read this. The people said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Another translation is, so we can become famous. Let's make ourselves famous, the fame of our name. The story for our glory. Our story for our glory. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. 
And uh, if you're reading along in the chronological Bible, and I hope you are, then we read about Jacob recently. And God did say in advance that the older would serve the younger, <clears throat> but Jacob wasn't going to wait around to let God write the story. I'm going to do it. My story for my glory. And so he tricks and he deceives and he manipulates and he gets Esau to sell him the birthright, the inheritance, and then later he deceives his father and outright lies to him in order to get the blessing that his older brother was supposed to have. I'm going to pursue my story for my glory, our story for our glory. Today, we just say, do you. <clears throat> Do what works for you. Do what's best for you. It's all about you. You, you, you. Our story for our glory, all right? That, that's, that's our kind of our default position. Our story for our glory. How do you, how do you know if, if I've put myself at the center of my story? How do I know if I'm living according to my story for my glory? Well, are you, are you trying to find peace in the accumulation of stuff and wealth? Are you trying to find your identity in recognition, in titles, in fame, in acclaim? Are you trying to find and squeeze purpose and meaning out of pleasure and leisure and just experiences? Those things aren't bad, but if that's what you're pursuing as the center, as the, as the thing that defines your life, your glory, then we have fallen back into the trap of our story for our glory. Of course, that's just, that's just one side of it, okay? Our story for our glory. M most, if not all, the other meta-narratives of history and of the world fall into that. In the end, it's just our story for our glory. What's the biblical meta-narrative about? It's God's story for his glory. God's story for his glory. <clears throat> Maybe you watch the movie Rudy. <clears throat> if you're a Notre Dame fan, it's obligation. Okay, you have to watch the movie Rudy. Uh, but in Rudy, there's a scene where the old priest is talking to Rudy, and the, the old priest says, well, at this stage in my life, I'm, I'm sure and confident about just two things. There is a God, and I'm not him. <clears throat> That's not a bad place to start, okay? There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God who knows the end from the beginning. It's his story for his glory. This story is not in the first place about us. We're in the story. We're a part of the story. But it is not in first order about us. I like this quote here that kind of emphasizes God's centrality in this story. The whole story is talking about the big story of the Bible, the meta-narrative of reality, the one true unfolding story of redemption. The whole story is predicated on the reality of this God, the God that the Bible reveals, and the mission of this God. He is the originator of the story, the teller of the story, the prime actor in the story, the planner and guide of the story's plot, 
the meaning of the story and its ultimate completion. He is its beginning, end, and center. It is the story of the mission of God, of this God, and not others. God's story for his glory. That's, that's the big story that we find ourselves a part of. Is that true? Does the Bible back that up? Well, check this out. Look, look at this famous verse here at the end of Paul's doxology in Romans 11. For from him, talking about God, for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. That's right. Someone said amen because that is the next word in the text, right? Amen. All right. To him be glory forever. Hey, let's take a look at the next one in our Bible. So take your Bible, whether it's digital or print, and look up Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you grab the Bible in front of you there in the rack, you'll find that on page 947. Page 947. All right, Ephesians 1. These are some verses worth underlining and highlighting. We'll start with verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. <clears throat> in him, that is, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Sounds like there's an author. Sounds like there's a designer. Sounds like there's a director of all things, okay? We were chosen in Christ by the one who determines all things according to his good purpose and will and choice. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be what? For the praise of his glory. It keeps going though. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Our salvation, our inclusion in Christ, the fact that we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit God guaranteeing you belong to me, you're my possession. All right, all of that, and it's good, is for his glory, to the praise of his glory in eternity. All of it is to the praise of his glory. How about this one in 1 Corinthians? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. God's story for his glory my story for his glory, everything for his glory, that is the biblical story. Is this good or is this oppressive? Is everything for God's glory, God's story for his glory, is that slavery or is that freedom? Is it good or is it oppressive? It's good. Check out this next verse tells us why it is so good. I love this. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. He called you to this, that is salvation, belonging to him, being a part of his family, being his children. He called you to this through our gospel that you might 
share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, get to share in God's glory. And there simply isn't anything greater or better or grander or more beautiful or more pleasurable than the glory of God. Everything in creation is just a dim reflection, a shadow of the brilliance of the greatness of the glory of God. And by faith, we get to enter into that glory. Wow. That is good. It's an amazing thing. Let's just stop and think about it for a second. We, We rejected God's story for his glory because we wanted to pursue our story for our glory. We rejected it, pursued our own story for our own glory, my story for my glory, and it was a disaster. It was a train wreck. But God didn't leave it that way. He actually sent his son to enter into our story as a human being in order to draw us and bring us back into his story for his glory so that we could share in his glory forever and ever. What a loving God. And he did it at great cost to himself. There are no other meta-narratives out there, no other stories out there where the divine, where God or gods or whatever descends and enters into our story in order to pull us back to himself. That only this wonderful truth of God's grace and mercy, his mercy is more, we sang. I love that song. It's sticky. You'll be singing it in your head this week, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing because it's true. Human glory, human glory is so pathetic and pitiful, and uh, it just doesn't last. It, it doesn't have stain or sticking powder power. Quick, quick, quick. Who won the Super Bowl last year? (sighs) It took place in California, I think, but that's about all I remember. Uh, And maybe I'm wrong with that. Okay, some some of you remembered, but I'm telling you what, most of us can't even recall who won it last year. We're all excited and looking forward to it this year. Yay, the Super Bowl's around the corner. Who won Who won last year? Uh... Somebody did, right? Okay, let's stick with football since we're in football season, playoff season, right? Okay, what do these three people have in common? Walter Payton, Reggie White, and Steve McNair. Some of you say, well, I don't know who these people are. Well, they're all football players, right? (laughs) Okay, all football players. And, you know, back before there were the Colts, there were the Bears, and we all loved Walter Payton, remember? Okay. They're all famous football players, good football players. But that's not the main thing they have in common. What's the main thing they have in common? They're all dead. <laughs> and, they di- and they died young. They died young. They, what, where's the fame and the glory now? Because human fame and glory doesn't address death. Now, Reggie White was called Reverend because he actually was one, okay? He, as far as I can understand, was a Christ follower. 
He was a Christ follower. There was something more important to Reggie White than football and fame and money and whatever. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Because of that, he shares in the glory of Christ. And part of Christ's glory is resurrection power. Resurrection glory. And, and Reggie White, he would echo Paul's words out of Philippians chapter 3, but whatever were gains to me, fame and wealth and football trophies and hall of fame or whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, the fame, the acclaim of this world, the glory of this world, human glory, I consider it garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Have his glory, enter into and share his glory, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, look how good I did, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The adventure of discovering our place in the story begins when we allow God to take his rightful place as the one true center of all reality, ours included. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, for whoever wants to save his life, in other words, whoever wants to live for his own glory, my story for my glory, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, that is, chooses God's story for his glory, and for the gospel will save it. When people decide to follow Jesus, they're basically saying this, I want to become part of God's story. I want his story to become my guiding story. At conversion, we merge back into God's story for his glory, and he begins to weave our lives into the grand tapestry of his story for his glory. Back to Jacob. Remember Jacob? <clears throat> Jacob was trying to achieve uh, his glory for his, but, you know, his story for his own glory in his ways, and God had to work on him. And you remember there was that scene where God comes to him at night and they wrestle it was a struggle. And then, and then at the end, God touches his hip and puts it out of joint. And Jacob's going to walk the rest of his life with a limp. But that limp reminds him, I have to depend on God. It's, it's not my story for my glory. It's God's story for his glory. And I'm going to depend on him and trust him and follow him and worship him. <clears throat> so what does it mean to live in the story? How do we live in the story of God's glory, his story for his glory. Well, first of all, we gotta get to know God as the author and main character. The, the main reason we're, we read the Bible is to get to know God. <clears throat> it's not just about knowing about him, it's really knowing him. And one way we get to know him is through his word, the revelation of himself in the story of the Bible. 
Jesus prayed in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. <clears throat> and so as we're reading through the Bible to, together, we had to continually ask ourselves, what, what is it telling me about God? What is it teaching me about God and how I'm to relate to God? That's the main reason we read it. It's not a checklist. Oh, I did it. I did it. The, the, the value isn't just in checking off a duty or a demand. Instead, it's, it's growing in our relationship with God. <clears throat> Scriptures are so central and key in helping us to positively adjust our worldview, the, the way we approach life which story we're going to allow to define us. My story for my glory or my story for God's glory. God's story for his glory. <clears throat> the, the Bible kind of tests our worldview and transforms it and shapes it uh, uh, towards God. How about these verses out of uh, Romans 12? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't, don't, don't let... Don't let the big stories of this world squeeze you into its mold like Play-Doh. The world and wants to squeeze you into its mold. Don't, don't, don't let it. And remember, our, our default is putting ourselves at the center of the story. My story for my glory. And every day, the world is trying to squeeze you into that mold. Don't let it. Instead, what? Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and one way we do that is by being in God's word, God's truth. That's why it's so important what we're doing as a church family to read through the chronological Bible together. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, what his story for his glory is, and how my life can be a part of that. <clears throat> The Bible functions as God's authoritative word for us when it becomes our basic story through which we understand our own experiences and thought and the foundation upon which we base our decisions and our actions. It's the Bible that judges our intentions and thoughts. We, we don't stand over the word, the word stands over us. Here's my facsimile of the Jefferson Bible. This is the Bible that Thomas Jefferson created. He was a smart dude because he uh, understood Greek and uh, Latin and French and English. Wow. But he went through and he cut up the Bible to just preserve the parts that he liked or he thought were. He, he cut out all the supernatural. He stood in judgment over the word. No, we don't have that option. We're tempted to do it today. It's just read the parts we like, right? And, and listen and hear the parts we like. But it's a love letter from God filled with grace and truth, and, and some of that truth can be painful because he's being honest with us for our good. But, but we, we submit to his word. Why? Because we want to know the author. We want to know the main character because he's God. It's his story for his glory. Secondly, let's participate in the community of those who share the story. What's the thing about us? About uh, uh, our church is that we are people who share a belief in the same story. And so we, we need to be together and to worship together and to participate in life and ministry together 
uh, in order to reinforce this story and to live out the story. Participate in the community of those who share this story. In Acts 2.42, we read, they, that's, that's the early believers, the early church, the first followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, devoted themselves to participation with those who shared the same story, God's story for his glory. And, and we do this in lots of ways together. We celebrate you know, Christmas. We just had Christmas, and Easter's coming. Uh, not too far away, and we celebrate together. It's all important parts of the story. And then communion, as we remember Christ at the center. It's about him and what he did for us for, for, to the praise of his glory. And, and so as we participate in those things, uh, we, we live out, we live out God's story for his glory. And finally, we, we live it out. We just have to live it out. We just have to choose to live it out. Intentionally, consciously, consequently. We got to kind of choose to live in the story. All right, so I'm, I'm somewhat absent-minded, <clears throat> and uh, so I lose stuff, or I forget stuff. I probably once a week, I come here to the church building without my cell phone. Fortunately, I live very close, right? So I can, I can pop back home and get it. But I'll, I'll forget my cell phone, I'll lose my wallet, the keys are forever. What, what's with that, man? I'm always looking for keys. I'm losing keys. I, I misplace. I, I lose track of all kinds of things. I'm going to tell you one thing I never, ever, ever lose. My glasses. I never lose my glasses. Why? Because the first thing I do every single morning, because I can't see you right now, okay, Oh, there you are. The first thing I do every morning is put my glasses on. And I leave them on all day. I cannot function without my glasses. The last thing I do at night before I go to bed is I take my glasses off. And then they're there. And I put them on. And this is like a worldview. <clears throat> we got we to be intentional about putting, the, putting it on every day. It's not today my story for my glory. I get up today and I remember it's God's story for his glory. I want my story to enter into his story for his glory because guess what? I get to share in his glory, which is a good thing. And I, I, I'm a promoter of having some kind of a morning thinking process or prayer written out that you recite. Uh, Tom Julian used to always talk about, you know, consciously thinking every morning I'm going to take myself off the throne of my life and put myself on the altar. Um, I've told you many times I, I like to pray this prayer of God help me today to say no to the, desi to the desires of flesh that lead to death and decay and to say yes to the desires of the spirit that lead to life. <clears throat> I've got a new one this year. God, I know that the night is almost over, that the day is almost here, so help me to put off the deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light, to clothe me with Christ today. Ah, that's a good one. I think that's going to be great, but, but what is that? What is happening there? I'm, I'm putting on my worldview glasses. It's not, it's not my story for my glory. <clears throat> help me, help me. Help me to remember it's, it's your story for your glory. Help me to enter into that today because I know it's for my own good. We read in Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
So what's motivating and defining you? And what, what, what story are you living in? What worldview are you looking through? Is it my story for my glory or is it God's story for his glory? Rather than asking where does God fit into my life, we should be asking where does my life fit into God's great story? Rather than focusing on where does God, what, what is God's purpose for our individual lives, we should be asking how can our lives fit into God's mission for this world? Rather than seeking the God we want, we should be seeking the God who is. Instead of asking what kind of mission does God have for me, we should be asking what kind of me does God want for his mission? Uh, The musicians are going to come. We're going to end by singing about God's sovereignty over us. It's the good and gracious and kind and merciful God who is sovereign over us. And we need to submit, choose to submit to his story for his glory, our story for his glory, because that that is where life is. And so as we sing this together to to close this morning, let's make a conscious choice to say, God, I know the default is to, is to be my story for my glory. Help me, help me this week to put the glasses of the biblical worldview on and to say, I, I want, teach me, help me to, to live this day, these hours, in my thoughts, in my choices, in my actions to be your story for your glory, my story submitted to your story for your glory. Let's sing together.